Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 7, incidental episode. J.H. Williams III. a bit of an inter- incidental episode. Um, I know that we are going uh, twice a week uh, on a Wednesday and on a Sunday. Uh, we usually just do this on a Sunday, but Sunday evening for myself, Sunday morning for uh, the West Coast. But this is a bit of a special one because uh, yesterday we were going to hopefully talk to uh, J.H. Williams. By the way, that's something we are going to have to work out. How do I address you, sir? Uh, Jim is fine. Jim is fine. <laughs> I wanted to just check. My name is Len Sultana. This is Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Um, it's a bit of a special one and because this is a spotlight interview uh, with a, an amazing artist, and it's just a, a pleasure to have him join us. Um, J.H. Williams III. Jim, hello there. Welcome along, sir. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, I'm going to turn all this off because we do have your work scrolling by in a bit of a, uh, a slideshow, which we're going to let that uh, roll in the background because so uh, we are is an audio only interview for yourself uh, and that's fine but that means we get to uh, see some of your amazing artwork on screen while we talk to you uh, so um, yeah uh, it's just uh, great to have you joining us uh, it's going to be kind of like a, a bit of a loose conversation uh, we'll uh, get into all sorts of uh, bits and pieces uh, along the way uh, but I think we'll start with a slight slant on the old traditional chestnut of how you got into comics. Um, well, I think we'll start. Can you actually remember the first comic that you actually went, you know what, I like this. This is this is for me. This is my this is my gateway drug. I like this one. It, can you remember if there was a specific issue, a specific book that you remember picking up and reading? Uh, for sure. I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I read all kinds of comics, but I really didn't grasp what they, you know, how they were made. So, uh, but the first comic that really made a big impression on me, particularly because I found myself at a very young age trying to draw the various characters I would read, like Iron Man and Spider-Man and so on. But was, um, for me, was my discovery of the Micronauts comic book. And it sort of was a gateway um, because I was in love with the toys. So as a child, I mean, I was obsessed with these toys. And so the first time I saw a Micronauts comic book, which was Micronauts number one, in a spinner rack at a convenience store, when comics used to be sold at those things, um, I had to buy it. And I was so excited about it that uh, I couldn't wait to get it at home to read. Uh, I sat on the stoop and started reading it. And it was one of the first comics, I think, that I don't know if it had had to do with my obsession over the toys or not, but I was so enamored with the story and the artwork that uh, I ended up paying attention to every little detail. And it's one of the first times I really, really understood the credits box. Of course, you know, in, in a lot of the comics I read before then, you, know, you always saw you know, Amazing Spider-Man with the little thing on there on page one presented by Stan Lee. So I knew who Stan Lee was, but I really didn't pay much attention to anything else until I read Micronauts number one. And that was by Michael Golden and Bill Mantlo. And uh, 
quickly fell in love with it, was blown away by it. Even today, when I look at those issues, how how impressive they are and the fact that they don't talk down to you. Um, it's just incredible work. And so that was my first real discovery, um, artistic discovery. And I showed a, another childhood friend of mine at the time this comic book. And he's like, oh, well, if you like that, you have to see a, this thing called Uncanny X-Men. And so I saw that and saw how great that was. Um, but in a very different way than Micronauts. And that's sort of what set the tone for me. Like, hey, I like to draw. I think I'm going to do this. Um, my, my career path decision at age eight. <laughs> <laughs> you really did go straight all the way in then. Fantastic. Were you drawing at that point as well? Were you, um, as a kid, were you sort of like um, sketching at all? Or was that something that came later? Yeah, I was uh, doing little drawings and stuff from my earliest memories. So um, I, and some of the earliest memories I have were drawing some of the Marvel characters, you know, the more famous Marvel characters or trying to draw them anyway. Um, it's, in, it's interesting that you uh, start with Mark, Micronauts um, uh, because I, I, you speak to a number of uh, comic creators and they remember pouring over the comic strips and the Sunday strips in their uh, newspapers and seeing that those kind of condensed stories. Micronauts, I know as um, a, a comic, was very kind of like uh, contained stories per issue. But then to go on to um, uh, Uncanny X-Men, which has this sprawling arc worth work of stories, um, which were the ones which kind of grabbed your attention first? Was it those one and dones? Or was it, was it the large epic storylines? I don't know. I kind of feel like a little bit of both, really. Um, Micronauts, even though you know, each issue kind of had its own little thing going on. It did feed a greater narrative on that. Uh, and then I guess that was reinforced by seeing uh, how narrative, longer narrative focus uh, X-Men was um, into understanding, you know, comics were more than just a, a one-off little floppy comic book. And then it's done over, you know, you could go beyond that with the story. So. No, it makes sense. Um, and also, uh, it's great that you kind of like were paying attention to the creators even back then and even those um, those early kind of books that you were reading. I mean, other than the ones for Micronauts, was there any other creators that did catch your attention and you kept returning to? Yeah, uh, I lived in the Bay Area as a kid, so I got exposed to some things that might not have been as easily accessible living in other parts of the country. So I you know, very early on came across things by, you know, Mobius and some other European creators. Um, Jack Kirby, of course, uh, I, at an early age fell in love with Commandy and Eternals and stuff like that from Jack Kirby. His, his less, uh, less famous works, I guess you could say. Um, uh, so there was definitely a wide variety of things I was exposed to at a young age of, in terms of uh, artistic styles that you could find in comics. And that probably has fed some of my uh, own creative direction uh, by being so enamored with various things like that uh, at an early age. Especially, I can imagine, uh, working over both pages, the, uh, the large uh, expressive um, panels and the, the way that um, Kirby kind of sort of like the narrative moved around the page and moved around the pages 
and uh, over the course of uh, a double page spread i can definitely see that uh, influence in your work yeah yeah and then you know that translated over to you know, early exposure to jim steranko and uh and some of the things he you know he was doing um yeah definitely all came out and some of those influences i really didn't think about that much they weren't conscious influences when i first started doing this professionally um but in retrospect you go back and go oh yeah okay i see how i came to the to where i'm at from these roots you know yeah i mean what what was your um timeline you know i mean you're talking there is about when you kind of uh, took it the the idea of making comics professionally i mean what was your timeline um when it comes to comics because i know that you um studied um uh, uh, is advertising and art design yeah uh, and you, were you doing comic artwork at that point as well or um i mean what was the kind of uh, the way that uh, the two dis disciplines kind of flew together uh yeah i was trying to draw comics you know uh, at least uh, always in some fashion. I even remember trying to do the <laughs> the old uh, Marvel tryout book that they that they offered, <laughs> failing miserably at that. But um, I think the you know it was something I always wanted to do and was always actively pursuing it. I don't ever remember a time thinking that I wasn't pursuing that, even if I wasn't actually uh, concentrating on you know panel by panel storytelling practice. Um, it was something I always, you know, had a love for. And I think subconsciously it all got ingrained and, you know, grooved into my brain to when I did get started professionally, I was able to move forward in interesting ways, I hope. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, as uh, many people who watch this uh, may know that I am a DJ. Uh, so I've often had that conversation uh, with my parents and also with people at school when I said, okay, when are you going to get a proper job? <laughs> uh, and I can imagine, uh, that it's, uh, like you say, I, 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 you took that course uh, in advertising uh, and uh, advertising art and design. Did you ever have the, the sit down conversation? Okay, illustrative arts, you know, that's where you, you, know, you can actually earn some money as a career. Do you really want to do comics? Did you ever get the uh, sit-down conversation of are you going to do this something proper? Um, yes and no. <laughs> it wasn't. It's it's kind of tough to say. You know, there was. It was a mixed bag in terms of the type of support. Um, uh, so I, in a lot of ways, I think they just kind of like, well, he's going to sort it out. <laughs> One way or another, it'll get sorted out. Um, uh, the advertising art and design thing, what was fascinating to me about that class was it was different than any of the other types of basic classes that you could take in high school. Uh, it was sort of like this off-campus occupational program training course that I did for two years. And the number one thing I learned about that, it didn't really, it didn't really help me become a uh, better craftsman at the, you know, a, a better artist in terms of how well something is drawn or or painted but what it did for me was teach me a lot about focusing on what is the idea behind the drawing itself that and get to the root of that and i think that is also had the, the biggest impact on everything i've done 
um, throughout my career in terms of the way I try to use iconography and symbolism, um, I think all stems from what I learned in that class. Um, it was uh, interesting to you know have a teacher that focused on that. Um, and unfortunately, you know, sometimes he would use me as an example because I sometimes would draw, you know, images of horror creatures and things like that, which he was not very appreciative appreciative of. But he, he saw that I would try to put ideas behind the drawings, and so he would use me as an example, as saying, "Look, look, it doesn't matter how good of an artist you are; you have to be able to convey uh, some uh, some point of view." So. That makes uh, sense as well. I mean, I can also imagine as well uh, that um, a course like that also teaches you um, the the structure of actually getting um, a project done. And I, I've spoken to a number of comic artists uh, that uh, they say it's fine to have whatever skills you have, but to actually get the job done and to have that sense of uh, completion. And I can imagine a course like that would give you, teach you some of that kind of like that structure, as it were. Uh, when it comes to putting your, your artwork together. Um, I often find that um, artists as well have that imposter syndrome very well into their career uh, about when uh, they feel that they are a professional comics artist. Can you remember when that was, when you actually went, you know what, I am a professional comics artist? Um, probably the t when I got my first paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and even then, it was precarious, probably. <laughs> what, what was that? What was that for? What was it? What was that? What was that for? Um, probably, I think the first time I got paid was when I lived in the Bay Area. I did this thing for a computer magazine. I don't remember what the heck it was called. I think it was like PC magazine or something like that. And they were trying to do this comic strip thing. Um, and I got a job doing some pencil work for that. And then a job for the same writer uh, doing some other like science hero thing that he wanted to do. I did some pages for, I remember getting some, some sort of payment for that. I don't remember how much it wasn't a lot, <laughs> 50 bucks or something like that. <laughs> I know that your first interior work was uh, 1991 uh, for, was it Hero Alliance Quarterly, I believe. Um, what was it that uh, kind of attracted you to um, doing interior work? And um, where did you kind of learn the structure of doing sequential uh, storytelling? I mean, I, I always find it interesting how, when I speak to artists, how they learn the uh, idea of, the page turn and the reveal and the the the, the, the mechanics of actually putting in uh, interior artwork together. Um, what what was um, where were you learning that from? Oh, I don't know. I think through osmosis, really. Uh, <laughs> just you know, being so in love with comics and and the way they tell a story. You know, I really uh, just kind of soaked it all in and. Um, so when I first started doing interior pages, I just tried to figure out ways to really pay attention to what the script writer is saying um, and try to do that to the best I could and make it make it make sure it had a, a sense of visual movement 
um, and conveyed story. So, you know, it's one thing to say I'm an artist, but I think it's quite a different thing to say someone is a comic book artist. Sure. You know, comic book artists are really mostly interested in telling stories using images, right? So I kind of view myself as like someone who's just interested in, in trying to convey a story as best as I can in as interesting way as I can. Well, I mean, the, the, I think something that um, stands you out as a comic artist is, I mean, you you don't necessarily uh, pin down a specific um, art style. I mean, there's um, everything from um, uh, very strong lines to uh, very big uh, paint panels. So you kind of can move those around from project to project, and that's fantastic. Uh, but something that kind of really does define yourself um, as an artist is those um, kind of different ways of using the page and using panels and moving around the page. Um, I, I'm just wondering how long it takes you to kind of work those per project. I mean, in terms of defining what the tone and the technique is going to be for each project. Um, yeah, the time thing is interesting. I mean, earlier in my career, I tried to be faster. Um, and I think it shows. I think the work is not as good. I found that I got stronger the more time I allowed myself to to focus on what needs to be done. But what's surprisingly about taking longer is I don't actually do uh, much of in the way of thumbnails anymore um, uh, or pre preliminary drawings. I kind of let the drawings live in my head uh, before I start um, trying to put it on the page. And one of the reasons why I've done that um, is I found that when I did try to do thumbnails, I was so married to what I did in the thumbnail that I would fight with it when trying to actually draw it. Um, so if the drawing itself was saying, no, what you, this thumbnail is bullshit, um, move on, I would, I would sit there and struggle with that. Um, and I think it showed in the work as well. So I ditched that and started saying, letting the, the images live in my head and have a vague idea of what I wanted to do. Um, and then as I would start to lay it out on the page, if it started telling me otherwise, I would listen and let the drawing kind of uh, dictate to me what it's going to do. Um, uh, and surprisingly, you would think that would be faster, but it's not necessarily faster. Uh, it's just less uh, process drawings, I guess. Um, and I spend more time kind of staring at what I'm doing and making sure it's it's working in a way I hope it works, the way it's telling me it should work. You know, in some of these, uh, you know, broader double page spread, in, elaborate things I've done, you know, there's, I'm sure there can be some argument on how successful some of those are. Um, I think some work probably really well and some not so much, but I would rather try something different and have it not work to the best it could be um, than not try it at all. Um, you know, I, I guess that's just my own way of looking for finding my own path of being a storyteller, I guess. Sure. And also can I, connecting to that project, which is, uh, I, I mean, I'm curious as to 
what you know, when you first kind of started and like you say you were learning and developing your style when you were um, getting into a, a starting as a, a art, comic artist like as we all do what were the elements that kind of appealed to you for a project uh, shy of the paycheck and <laughs> and how has that evolved over the years what um now draws you to a project what what's the things that kind of have to be in place for you to to be attached um, I think, you know, early on, of course, the paycheck was a big deal because, you know, you just wanted to establish yourself and do this as an actual career that hopefully you could uh, make a living off of in some form. Uh, but after a certain point, you start to go, um, at least for me, needing to work on things that I could care about. and Because I kind of felt like if I didn't care about it, I'm not going to produce the best work I can produce for this thing because I just, I don't care about it. So very quickly it came, became something beyond just getting a paycheck. Uh, it had to be a story that I could go, I could look at and go, huh, I could, I could get into this. Um, and I have such a wide variety of interests and tastes in terms of comics that it would, it, it's relatively easy for me to find those um, connective points for, for me, for, for a wide variety of reasons. You know, I, I feel like it, I can be just as excited to sink my teeth into a horror tale as, a, as much as a sci-fi tale, as much as a superhero tale. Uh, it just depends on, you know, um, what I'm seeing in the concept, I guess, when I'm looking at the pitch or with an editor saying this thing is supposed to be. Sure. Um, we do have a number of questions coming in on the Q&A, and we will dive into those uh, very shortly indeed. If you do have any other questions, anyone who's watching, dive in. Uh, we'll uh, put them to Jim very shortly indeed. Uh, we'll go into a couple of um, um, viewer questions in a bit. But um, uh, to come back to uh, those things that uh, appeal to the project, I mean, you've worked with some of the strongest personalities uh, in, in comics, um, from Alan Moore, from... Uh, well, just across the board, it's a, a wide gamut of those creators that you work with, those writers. What's your take on the conversation between uh, about collaboration and ownership? I mean, the the crediting of who is the creator of a book. Um, what's what's your uh, take on that conversation? I think the creators of a book are the primary the primary progenitors of the content. So, you know, you have your writer and artist, neither of them could tell a comic book story without the other. Um, you know, granted, there are some comic artists, you know, like myself that, you know, dabble in writing here and there. Um, but I feel like a comic is really, um, in most cases, is a combination of two individuals coming together to create something beyond their, their selves that they would do on their own. So I, I definitely feel like, you know, I'm not sure what the conversations are, are that are going on out there about it, but I feel like authorship is really both those people, yeah, the artist and the writer. Um, and it can be, it's evidenced in, in every time you pick up a comic. Um, you know, there are times where a, a great artist can elevate a mediocre story into something that was much more of a surprise than people might anticipate or a weaker artist can deteriorate the quality of a, of a better story. Um, 
the, it's impossible to separate the two, I think. Sure. I, I think the conversation that I've been seeing, and I, I think it's uh, the art cred uh, uh, hashtag that uh, did the rounds, um, certainly for the last couple of years, it's that um, sense whenever you see something in previews and it's the artist, uh, sorry, the writer that's credited as the creator of the book and the artist is almost the second tier and then you get the conversation about uh, letterers and colorers and ed editors where they belong uh, on the cover. For myself, it's everybody who's involved should be on the cover, everyone who, because it is such a symbiotic thing. Uh, um, certainly with um, it, it, Mr. Keith, as your uh, letterer um, and has been for a, a while. I mean, what's um, that relationship like? Because uh, um, I was uh, involved in a conversation recently about um, a, a letterer should be allowed to change some of the word sound effects, for example. What's your relationship with that? Would you let um, uh, I know the first name's escaping me? Uh, Todd. Todd. Tardkin, thank you. Um, in in terms of that, I mean that kind of um, backwards and forwards in terms of what he does with his work on top of yours. Yeah, uh, my relationship with Todd is a very close one with in terms of the work that we do. Um, I, early on in my career, I worked with a wide variety of of letterers, and they're all good in their various ways. But I found that the more I, I started going into the design sense of thinking being applied to comics that all that ingrained advertising art and design stuff that was shoved into my head became more and more of an important um, storytelling aspect to what I was doing. I felt like I needed to have more understanding and control over lettering placement. I felt like some of the more elaborate things that I might come up with can't be done unless if I think about that ahead of time. So same goes for color sometimes. Sometimes I have to think about the color ahead of time um, uh, just so I have a sense of direction and flow of what I'm trying to do. Um, uh, but, you know, Todd is extremely open to our process and I trust him implicitly. Um, as far as the sound effects are concerned, it's funny because everything's gotten so digital and I kind of, in, a, in some ways, hate that. I hate that uh, original comics art now, you know, the 99% of the time, it seems like the lettering is done digitally these days. Um, and, and so I miss seeing that on the originals, um, particularly with sound effects. Uh, a lot of sound effects today, uh, uh, sometimes have this, they're just laid over the top feeling and not integrated into the composition as much as they were in the past. So I've gotten accustomed to actually drawing all my own sound effects on my pages now. <laughs> um, I was terrible at it at first, but I've gotten, I've gotten a little bit better. Um, and I, I like doing that because I, I can now use them as storytelling devices in terms of visual flow of how I want your eye to move. Um, and Todd's perfectly fine with that. He doesn't, he, he, I think if I did something that he hated, he would let me know. Yeah, I was about to say, I could imagine that um, he, he'd have a word. He'd, he, yeah, he'd have uh, some pointers to, to send in your direction. Exactly. Uh, so like, so we've got the, a couple of these uh, questions that have come in. Uh, thank you very much indeed to uh, several people who've uh, made comments. First and foremost, we've got Toby, uh, who's saying excellent ROM art that we've uh, been showcasing on the screen. I also remember getting Micronauts 
Realm of Space Knight and Battlestar Galactica books off the spinning rack, drawn to those uh, books to the, by the toys as well. Uh, for myself, it wasn't Micronauts. It was certainly Realm of Space Knight. I am a massive Realm fan. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, very much I can totally uh, understand that. And so Lister of Smeg uh, has jumped in. Very good with um, some big questions. So let's see what uh, um, uh, Solicitor Smeg says. Uh, do you prefer working for the big two, uh, DC and Marvel, over publishers of creator-owned books like Image? Um, I'm actually going to get into other things similar to that question, but it's a big one to start with. So, yeah, which um, kind of approach appeals to you uh, out of the two? I don't know. I mean, I definitely prefer creator-owned for various reasons because it's something that is yours. You have control over it. You have – it's your decisions on every aspect of of what you're trying to do with the story, you and your, your um, uh, co-creator partners, you know, and it's something you build from scratch where most of the stuff you do for, you say, DC and Marvel or – or iconic things that have existed, you know, before you were born in some cases. Um, and those have a certain uh, thing that you have to relatively adhere to. Um, is it, It's a different creative outlet, I guess you could say. I don't know if I, in terms of creative satisfaction, I don't know if I could say one tops the other. I guess it just depends in what mood you're in. Sure. So, so the time I spent on Batwoman is certainly as enjoyable to the time I'm spending on my my current creator-owned project or the time that I spent on Sandman Overture. Um, uh, but they're, they're two different things. I know that going in, and I, and I can kind of like compartmentalize that to some, some degree. Uh, the tougher part is dealing with the different politics involved when you're dealing with, you know, DC or Marvel, there's a whole different um, a parameter that you have to kind of navigate. Sure. I mean, the, what I was going to lead on to was um, the fact that you have worked on both superhero comics and also your original uh, uh, stories and original you know, non-cape stuff, if you, you want to kind of put it like that. I mean, such as uh, Promethea and uh, Saman. I mean, we've seen such a rapid growth in independent non-cape stories uh, over the years, what kind of stories appeal to you nowadays? Which ones kind of draw, you know, which is the one that kind of grabs your attention the most? Pretty much any, uh, mostly the creator owned market stuff. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love a great Batman tale or great Spider-Man tale. I, I read probably too much of that stuff, <laughs> uh, but um, there's something I find cre creatively stimulating in seeing something um, that's wholly original belonging to that, that specific team of creators. Um, and for myself personally, you know, if, if the mechanics and economics allowed, I'd be perfectly fine just telling my own stories, my own creator own visions, uh, for the rest of my life, uh, and be perfectly happy not having to go and, and draw, you know, a corporate character. Um, I don't want to dog corporate characters, though. That's I don't want to give the wrong impression because I think there's plenty of room for both. Sure. Uh, um, I just feel like I've been doing this so long now that um, ideally I would pr prefer to be in a position to where I, that my main focus is only things that, that I, 
that are mine that I, you know, that matter to me the most. Sure. Dare I ask um, if you can point out um, any um, books that are currently on your pull list, any um, independent and creator owned books that uh, are attracting your attention at the moment? Oh, that's a tough, <laughs> that's tough. Uh, uh, oh, of course my money is going to go blank because there's just too many things. Oh, this is me putting you on the spot. Yeah. Uh, as my wife can attest, I, I bring in too many comics into the house. Uh, uh, quite a bit of ind you know, independent stuff. Um, uh, I'm always excited for the next, you know, Hernandez Brothers book or... Um, you know, some of the fanographic stuff and a lot of the European books that come out. So always excited for those. Um, a lot of the stuff the image does, I'm, you know, always excited for, um, yeah, trying to nail it down to one thing specifically. That's difficult. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, I wouldn't want to put you too much on the spot in case you, you sort of like you mentioned a couple of names and neglected to mention others. So uh, we'll, we'll let, we'll let we'll, we'll kind of uh, make we'll, we'll let you off the, the hotspot on that one. That's fine. Um, we've got a question from Sean Thomas on um, Facebook. It's not showing up in the feed, but I do have the Facebook window open. So I will ask this. Um, it's obviously it's nice to see that the new Batwoman TV series is hugely influenced by your work. Um, did you have any input or a lot of input into that particular project? None at all. None at all. Um, I, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not, I haven't watched the show Okay. Uh, other than the first episode to try to see kind of what the feel was going to be. Um, I haven't really watched the show very much. I've heard about some of the things that were done on it. Um, and I'm glad that people seem to be liking it. Uh, but for me, I, I don't think I can watch the show without being biased. Um, because you've got so much invested. Yeah, the, uh, the stuff that, you know, myself, Hayden Blackman, and Greg Rucka put into it, um, I, I just felt like, granted, every story has its flaws, but I felt like we did quality work, and uh, I just don't think I could watch a television show or even a film based on something concretely that I've done without being too biased and too judgmental over it. So I find it better to just kind of stay away. Um, but if others are finding... Um, things in it that they like and things that they recognize, that's wonderful. Sure. I can imagine as well with that particular project, there's also that element of the, I'm going to say baggage that came with the project, with the um, the controversies and the creative difficulties uh, that you experienced uh, with uh, DC uh, in that regard. I mean, what was, I, I, I'm trying to work out uh, the question here really, which is how you can kind of, Take you, that um, all of that energy that you poured into that project, and all of those um, the the good and the bad that went, and how you can then kind of look back and how you look back on Batwoman. Um, I don't know. It's like this weird compartmentalization thing because uh, all of us that worked on the stuff love the character. Otherwise, we wouldn't wouldn't have done it in the first place. Sure. Um, uh, I'm proud of the work that we did. I think, <clears throat> I think we, for the most part, did a lot of things we set out to do. Um, uh, but yeah, there was, you know, it was fraught with some difficulties. Um, 
but I'm not the only one that would have that complaint of some of their time at DC during those years. Um, you know, it's just one of those things and I, it's hard to quantify a lot of coherent thought about it. Sure. Well, well when, you, when you think back then on that project, which like you say, it's compartmentalized, it's on the shelf and it is this, this crystal of uh, creative work that you were involved in. What do you see when you uh, look back on those days? I think the number one thing is two, it's, it's two things. I guess it's a two-sided coin. We did some good work. I think it was highly creative work. Um, I think we were able to push uh, some expectations of what people thought it, the project could be, uh, while at the same time it, uh, it, it is rough to know that we didn't get to finish it. Um, we didn't get to put our final say on what we were doing there. Um, but we're not the only only comic that that has happened to. I mean, sure. comic history is fraught with those stories where creators don't get to finish what they were setting out to do for various reasons. Uh, and, and that that sort of is just the way it goes. I mean, I've, I've had other projects that have gone down a similar path where we just didn't get to finish what we set out to do. That's just the, in some ways the nature of the business, um, sure. unfortunately. Fair enough. Um, in terms of how the um, industry is in its current state and certainly how it's um, facing its current difficulties uh, in this, um, in the light of um, Corona and how um, everything seems to have drawn to a standstill, uh, a very, very quick um, time. Uh, it's all kind of happened in almost in an instant. Uh, yeah. what's, your, what's your take on the current landscape of the comics industry? Do I'm trying to word, word this without getting into myself into any trouble? Do they kind of deserve the dire straits they're in with the way that they were set out, or were they not forward thinking enough to weather the storm, as it were? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's tough. That's... That was a that was a serious question. I think I should drink this cider more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of feel like you know. Um... With these sorts of situations, a lot of times it's hindsight, it's 2020, right? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, in the comics industry, business moved as business was dictated to move. Um, the way the parameters were set up, some of the choices made might not have been the wisest choices. I mean, I've made comments to friends of mine about um, the eggs all in one basket scenario that the industry has now seen the results of because of everything being shut down. Uh, publishers are having a really hard time being able to uh, navigate that, which in turn, you know, because without the, the comics retailers, they can't really function. And the comics retailers currently can't function themselves. Um, and there's, there's a domino effect that's happening because of that, where you're seeing publishers ha having to halt uh, money is halting, therefore creators are, their work is being uh, dissipated, their financial uh, resources is being dissipated uh, profoundly to them as well as the comic book stores. Um, I don't know what the answers are to that. Sure. You know? 
I'm finding it interesting that um, we're seeing, I mean, for example, the Creators for Comics uh, project that's yeah. currently doing the rounds on Twitter, which is just absolutely incredible, uh, the, the way that the community of creators have come together to, to help uh, retailers. Yeah. Um, I, I'm finding it interesting that a lot of creators are now taking this downtime to look at personal projects, those ones that have possibly been on the shelf a little bit gathering dust and, ah, right, I've now got the time to kind of take this project and dust it off and look at it. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering that we're, gonna, we're possibly going to be entering uh, once uh, the, uh, the the dust settles, uh, that we're going to see this real plethora of um, creator-owned work. Yeah, the, I hope so. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it'd be nice. Um, you know, again, it's all going to fall onto the, the shoulders of what kind of market exists after this. Um, it, different parts of the world have handled the financial fallout of this in various ways. Um, some have handled it better than others. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's such an unknown quantity at this point. Sure. Still, how we're going to come out of it and recover? We will recover, but what will we? What will things look like? And what will be the state of the industry after the afterward? How many publishers will still be here afterward? Sure. Um, that's a big. That's a big question right now, uh, and you know, from various people I've talked to, they there is real no answers at this point. Um, I so think we're, we're all in that kind of very that that vague lim, limbo uh, yeah. aspect. Yeah, I totally understand that. Tell you what, let's lighten the mood a little bit when it comes to the conversation. Uh, sure. let's, Just one more comment. Oh, yeah, go, 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 go. So the creators for you know, cre uh, creators for comics thing, I think is fantastic. Uh, I'm doing a little piece for that myself. Uh, I think it's really a great thing, um, and hopefully, you know, it will will help a lot of people, uh, the retailers, because like I said, without them, we we can't do what we do. Uh, but if this situation continues to develop and be prolonged in ways that uh, are not foreseen, uh, I think you know I fear for the the people that make the comics themselves. Uh, and and their stability, their futures. Um, so I, I don't know what the answer is to that either. I mean, something like, you know, creators for comics could be done for the comics workers, but in what form and, and how would that function and how would that be uh, financially distributed, that sort of thing. But I feel like over the next, we're going to see the fallout from this over the next year, I think, for sure. Sure. Um, if there's one thing that I feel that the creators of the comics um, thing could have done a little bit better is actually make it more of a raffle, because uh, then a someone who doesn't have several thousand pounds to bid on a Jim Lee uh, oh. sketch, uh, then there's more money coming in from the very smaller bids, oh. more money raised. I, I don't know. Uh, I just. I'd like to have possibly seen more of that as uh, an element of it, but, that, yeah, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's not done. There's still more of these uh, pro uh, these pieces going out, so hopefully some people will do take that. The way this is going, I could see there being a round two of this event. Yeah. Uh, in terms of raising uh, funds, we'll see. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, to change the topic then and lighten the mood a little bit, let's go into a couple of uh, random questions which I uh, put down. In terms of putting uh, a comic together, what for you is the most rewarding uh, aspect, the re most rewarding element of uh, comics? Is it the completion of the work on the page or is it the holding of the book or is it the reaction from the fans? Where down the line, what for you is the most rewarding aspect of it? Um, boy, that's a loaded question because <laughs> it's a, kind of all over the place question in a way because uh, my feelings about what I'm doing and what I do change daily. Uh, there's some days where I'm like, ah, that face came out well when I drew that face. And then there's times where I'm like, that was terrible. What, what, why, why do I do this? Why am I doing this job? I suck, you know? Um, so it's like this weird love hate relationship that you have, at least for myself with what I'm doing. Um, and so I, I kind of don't try to feel as much about it as I maybe should. I tend to have the most reaction to the, the results is when I see the thing in my hands. Um, I used to hinge a lot more of how I felt about things based on uh, reader response or uh, critical review response. I found that quickly was a emotional black hole to fall into. Um, because if I'm going, I felt like if I, if I paid attention to the positive things that a critic might say or a fan might say, as much as I appreciate that they appreciate what I've done, then I have to hold equal weight to the awful things that people might say and have said. Um, so I've kind of had to take myself out of it as much as I can and try to uh, focus on like, well, is this, is this work that I can say is the best that I could do today and try to keep my head in that space as much as possible. Sometimes that's a losing battle unto itself, but that's uh what I try to do um, for my own sanity is just focus on doing work that hopefully I myself, if I saw it sitting on a shelf and I didn't know what it was, that I myself would be gravitating to it, to you know, create something that I, I myself would like to read. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, we're going to do, I'll do this question from Solicitor Smeg and then I'll uh, come back to like say a couple uh, of questions which I've got, uh, including this one. Um, when it comes to established characters, and I'd like to try and get it up on the screen. There it is. Uh, when it comes to established characters that you've done a great work on, like Batwoman, uh, do you find yourself getting emotional when someone else isn't doing the character justice? <laughs> that's, a, that's a question and a half. <laughs> that's a trick question. <laughs> um, it depends on uh, how close I was with that character. Um, in most of the times, I, I try to, if I felt like I put a very personal stamp on a character um, beyond something like, say, Batman. Like, Batman existed well before I came along, but uh, in comparison to this iteration of Batwoman, this iteration of Batwoman was developed by you know, Greg Rucka, myself, and some among others, and Hayden Blackman, and we put a lot of love into it and built it from, you know, scratch in a way, even though it deals with 
themes that were already established from DC Comics. I feel like when it's something like that, when you've built it up from from the bottom uh, up, that uh, it's hard to not be biased about the work. Um, so I, in some ways, I'm sure there's plenty of other creators that have done wonderful things with Batwoman, but I have not read them because I fear my own shortcomings about my own feelings would judge their work unfairly. Um, so it's just almost the same attitude as I have with the TV show. I find it better for to to let them do what they're going to do and not try to to partake in it, knowing that my own psychology comes into play. Being aware of my own psychology in that mix, I think, is important. Um, and find it better to just stay away from it. Um, you know, might be disappointing for some people to hear that because if they are continuing to read the adventures of Batwoman from somebody else and are enjoying that, you know, might hope that I see the same thing that they see. But I just, I guess I'm a little shallow in that department. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I totally get it. Um, I, I, I can imagine as well the fact that you did, I mean, it's, Painfully obvious, not painfully obvious, but it's incredibly obvious from the, the pages of the book. And I've got the run myself. Um, I read them quite regularly. You did pour your heart and soul onto those pages. It was a book that you clearly had so much in, invested in and a story you had so much invested in. Um, you've got Jennifer who's uh, jumped in and saying that Jim's version of Batwoman is best by far. So there you go. If we're going to uh, give you some kind of uh, smoke up your ass, forward <laughs> statement there. We'll, we'll definitely go with that. Um, I've, so I think we'll uh, almost let you go. I've got some quick fire questions, which I will uh, wrap up on. Anybody else who has a question, I'm going to ask a question now, and then we'll get into any last minute ones. So dive in on the comments now. We'll do with this, and we'll uh, see what uh, you come up with. Um, when this situation with corona is resolved and the lockdown is lifted, uh, I, for one, I'm going to be doing my utmost uh, to kind of reconnect with the world. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to want to try and meet as many of the people that I've yet to talk to because I, I follow a number of people on Twitter. I would like to actually meet them in real life now. And I, I, I want to reconnect. Is there anybody on your Twitter feed or your social media feeds that you haven't met yet? Any heroes that you would like to meet in real life? Oh, uh... Toppy Head. Oh my gosh! Um, probably most of the most of the creators that I follow on Twitter, that I engage with back and forth occasionally, most of them I've never met. I've only met them on Twitter, wow. uh, and have enjoyed the the little interactions. You know, I know it's not it's it's fun to have those interactions, but at the same time, it's not quite the same as say sitting down and taking 20 minutes to a half an hour or whatever to have a, a real conversation. I think that'd be tremendous to do. I think when this is all done, I'm going to be hunting down Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh -huh. I'm going to be basically bouncing around the, the planet just trying to hunt him down. I think that's that's where I was, that's <laughs> the one I definitely want to try and get hold of. Um, quick fire questions. Uh, music in the studio? And if so, what is on the jukebox? Uh, I play music uh, most of the time when I'm working. There's some times where I, I don't, where I, for whatever reason, I just feel like I want it quiet. Uh, 
And I post those regularly on Twitter uh, as I listen to them. Uh, uh, it's usually a vinyl records as well. But the last thing I listened to was uh, uh, Pentagram. Um, it was like a collection of... You're reaching over to find it, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a, a, a collection of some of the earliest stuff called First Days Here. Uh, from Pentagram, which was awesome. 70s kind of proto-metal stuff. Um, but yeah, I'll listen, and then I also listened to uh, the latest uh, album by Marissa Nadler called For Her Crimes, or For My Crimes, uh, which is great. Um, but uh, yeah, both my wife and I um, were pretty big audiophiles. And we uh, we like a wide variety of things. We'll listen to all kinds of stuff, um, you know, anything from Run the Jewels to the Sisters of Mercy might come up in this. Nice. <laughs> I, I've been going back through my old. I mean, I know that um, in this kind of situation, it's probably best to look at new, and you get the chance to listen and brace new uh, artists and new music. Um, I know it was the uh, the anniversary release of the first Iron Maiden album that was being played all day today. So that's been all, I've been listening to that all day today. Yeah, um, you can't get much better than Iron Maiden. Absolutely, uh, man. Absolutely. As far as new uh, new music, new artists that we've discovered, they've been around, but they're new to us. Is uh, have you heard Algiers? No. So good, incredibly powerful. I recommend you check that out. There you go. I will dig that out first thing uh, once we uh, wrap this up. Um, could, like I say, quick five questions. Who's your favorite Robin? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, the Robin from Dark Knight, I think. Uh, Kelly Kelly Jones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, just uh, Kelly. No. Yeah. yeah. I, we know. <laughs> Kelly, Kelly Jones is someone else entirely. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Red just went down. <laughs> yeah, I kind of. Yeah, I think I'll hand the uh, the the, the uh, nerd card in on that one. Fair enough. Um, and if you had to pick the one book uh, for someone to introduce yourself to your work off the shelf, what would it be? Ooh, um, it's. I'd say Promethea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's probably. You know, I, I may, maybe because even though it's not the newest work, I would say Promethea because it's the, I think it's the first book where I found myself on. So. That's, it, inter that's interesting that, that, that you word it like that. Yeah, I mean, that was such a, an amazing project in the fact that working with someone like Alan Moore, who while so much has a singular vision is at the same time so open. Um, and the time I worked with him, I learned an incredible amount of, of things having that opportunity to work with him, not just from doing the work itself, but having those conversations with him, uh, seeing how he crafts his stories, seeing how he crafts his scripts, everything, working with him for six years, affected everything I've done ever since. Um, and because he's so open, when I would have conversations with him as we started to develop the project, 
about whatever weird visual ideas I might have went right along with his own. And he was, you know, willing to go over the cliff with me. And I was willing to go over the cliff with him. And so I feel like my self-discovery as a comic storyteller really found itself with that project. That's fantastic. Um, Jennifer is uh, jumping in and saying, and she's definitely, uh, um, yeah, she's definitely uh, uh, being very effusive. Uh, that's my go-to when recommending his work as well. Good to know I'm not off base uh, with Promethea. Um, and it kind of um, goes to my final question, um, which, you know, talking about that book and speaking about Alan Moore, um, my question is, exactly how mad a wizard are you? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it depends on the day of the week. <laughs> it's, one, it's one of my favorite Twitter handles uh, that you have. And also the fact that you've joined us as well. Let me just see if I can just bring this up so people can see it, just in case they haven't quite twigged what the avatar is that you've chosen for uh, this conversation. Nicole Williamson from one of the best films ever made. Yes. From um, Excalibur. Um, I think that's just that that kind of sums the 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 back end of this conversation up completely. And I think that's just great that you've chosen that as the avatar. And I think we'll just uh, wrap up with this one comment. This was the follow on from the uh, the question from Solicitor Smeg about uh, being emotional uh, about characters that you've worked on. Um, and he basically says, um, I don't think I'm cut out to be a comic creator because if someone wasn't doing my character justice, my first thought would be, how can I stone cold stunner this person without getting arrested? So <laughs> <laughs> kind of, um, well, I don't know if that's a, a way to finish on, but I think that's where we'll, uh, we'll wrap things up. The, the, one, the, one thing, the one thing I'll say about that uh, particular avatar, uh, I chose it because uh, my wife, Wendy, is she knows how much I love that film. Um, and she found that photo to use for my avatar that I use for some of my email stuff. Uh, and so the, that avatar is connected to, to my email. Uh, and uh, so I thought it was perfect to use here too. But yeah, she's the one who found that photo knowing how much I love that film as some, she's the one who set up my email account. And she's yeah. like, well, this is perfect. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it's a film which uh, I was nine years old and I was taken to the cinema to see it. Yeah. Um, I got exposed to some very strange stuff as a youngster. So age seven, I was reading Philip K. Dick. Oh. Uh, that kind of, yeah, that's the kind of thing that will play with your head. Um, yeah. Certainly seeing um, that film, seeing um, Excalibur age nine, um, that's the kind of thing which sticks with you. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that, that definitely leads me to the kind of um, things that I'm interested in uh, in now. So yeah, it's probably about the same age I saw it as well. I think. Um, yeah, I love that movie. I can't get enough of that movie. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So there we go. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I know that when we kind of were setting this up, I said that we'd be talking for about 30, 40 minutes, something like that. We've done a great hour's worth of conversation and we've covered a lot of bases and it's just been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much indeed for uh, taking the time and uh, coming on and chatting with us. Sure. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Excellent. What um, projects have you got uh, coming up that people can keep their eyes open for? Oh, okay. Um, I've got uh, 
the thing I'm doing for Image Comics called Echo Lands. I'm currently drawing issue six. Uh, we don't have a publication date um, yet. We were actually about to have that conversation uh, when you know the world collapsed on us. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what when that's going to come out, um, uh, but I'm going to continue to work on that. And I've got some various uh, uh, other writing projects that have not had any form of announcement of any kind yet. So I can't really say what they are, but. Uh, those I'm having fun with because I'm um, kind of acting as co-writer on some of those with uh, uh, a screenwriter, not a screenwriter, a playwright here in Las Vegas, uh, Scott David Johnson, uh, who I've known for a while. He actually contributed a story to the Where We Live book that we did, uh, that charity book. That I, uh, um, who, who was it that uh, brought that over? Um, basically, there was... Um, I'm going to, I, I'm, it's going to kill me that I've forgotten his name. Basically, uh, he brought it over to Portsmouth Comic Con and he managed to get it signed by a bunch of people as well. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, that is, it's a book which holds a big place in my collection. I'm, it's incredible that uh, you were involved in that. Cool, thank you. So um, I'm doing some uh, writing projects with him. One of them uh, is an OGN uh, that's well underway. Uh, the artist that's working on it is um, probably four fifths done now of 200 pages. Um, so that hopefully will be coming out sooner than later. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Fair enough. And also, where can people follow you online on social media? Where, where do you kind of live the most? Uh, I'm on Twitter the most, but I can also be found on Facebook. Um, so, uh, for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I've been meaning to set up an Instagram account. I just haven't done it, but I will at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like I say, it's been great to follow you on Twitter. It's been great to have the conversation uh, with you online. And it's been great to have you uh, joining us on the show. Jim, thank you very much indeed for your time. And uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, for myself, I'm back again on Sunday with another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. It's going to be a bit of a double header. We've got ourselves uh, two guests that's going to be joining us. And we've got Tony Lee. Um, he is involved with Showmasters with putting their artist Ali together, but um, we are going to be talking mostly about his comics career. And we're also going to be joined by uh, Gil Cabrera. So very much two different conversations. Gil Cabrera, of course, is the former chair of the San Diego Convention Center. So we're going to talk to him about the relationship between the building and the city, and of course, that symbiotic uh, relationship between the Convention Center and San Diego Comic-Con. All of that, of course, is going to prove uh, an interesting conversation uh, if we actually have an announcement from uh, CCI between now and then, which I think we can all agree is kind of on the cards. We'll get into that. And we'll talk about that on Sunday. As always, if you'd like to support the uh, Hangout, if you'd like to go to patreon.com slash EnglishmanSDCC, uh, we'll be uh, putting up some exclusive content over the course of the next couple of days, and it will kind of help me uh, buy food and continue to live. Uh, so please do contribute to that Patreon if you can. Back again on Sunday uh, to our normal time, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT, for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Although, seeing as it is now 11 o'clock here in the UK, I'm going to continue drinking my pint of cider. From myself, from Jim, from, from uh, all of us, we'll see you soon. Take care. Goodbye.